Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Mattimore Cronin. I'm Justin Clark. And today we're doing something a bit different. We are going to look at the future through the eyes of another species, dogs. That means we'll explore what the world looks like from a dog's perspective, how dogs have evolved up until now and will continue to evolve in the future, and also the changing roles that dogs will play in human society. So Justin, you own dogs, I own dogs, we've both looked into this. Tell us a little bit about what reality looks like from a dog's perspective as compared to a human. Yeah, I think it would be good to maybe talk about three major senses. So Mm -hmm. first is a dog's eyesight. It's actually not particularly good. And as a lot of people know, they sort of experience vision as a colorblind human would. Right. Um, the, The density of cones in their eyes is something like six times less than humans. So humans are much better at, you know, detecting details of regular vision. But the thing that dogs are good at is seeing at nighttime. And this has, this is something to do with the fact that they've evolved, their eyes have evolved to be sort of dusk creatures. They're not necessarily nocturnal, but they um, are out a lot, you know, in the evenings. Um, and they're also really good at detecting motion. So that's kind of like mm-hmm. the eyesight component of dogs. Yeah. I like to think of it as like, if you have blue blockers on or like a sepia filter, it's kind of like that. That's uh-huh. how their vision is. Yeah. And now there's a couple of senses that are far superior to humans. The first is hearing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also kind of know this intuitively that dogs have really good hearing, but their range of frequencies that they can hear goes up to like 50,000 Hertz. Whereas humans at the very upper limits when we're really young and, you know, nothing is wrong with our, um, ears, we can hear up to 20,000 Hertz. So they can hear these really high pitches that often occur in nature. So even like when, uh, bugs, when prey anything that is prey is communicating, um, they can hear it because it's really uh, high frequency. So a lot of times this might be a mouse. Like we, we typically wouldn't be able to hear the details of mice communicating with each other like underground. But a lot of dogs are you know, good at that mm-hmm. sort of um, thing. And that's just because of they've sort of evolved to hunt these sort of creatures. So that's right. really that puts them at a huge evolutionary advantage. Also, uh, anyone they, who owns dogs will notice that their ears kind of like yeah. move around and they have yep. three times more muscles in their ears yeah. than humans. Yeah, so us humans have to like turn our entire yeah. heads to hear things like kind of rotate and dogs sort of do that too, but dogs can turn their ears totally backwards, sideways, down, you know, they can hear a lot of, um, you know, they can rotate their ears to capture more of the sound as well. Right. Um, which kind of adds to the fidelity of the sound that they're hearing. Um, now, I think the most interesting one to me is their sense of smell. Definitely. And and I have a really hard time wrapping my head around what it would be like to smell like a dog. So we you know we know that dogs are used for drug detection, for bomb detection, and there's even been dogs like my. So I have a German Shepherd. And he was a stud dog for police and service dogs. One of his kids, one of his, you know, 
one of his uh, pups from when he was a stud is it can uh, detect blood sugar drops in humans. It can smell the drop of blood sugar in a human. Wow. So if someone with severe diabetes, you know, had some issue, it can alert the person like you need insulin now. And um, it's it's really interesting to think about that. But, yeah. but the other the other thing that's really interesting to think about with the dog's smell is what it would be like to walk through a park. So if we had the same sense of smell as a dog, we could walk past people and know what they've been doing, what kind of things they've been doing, and sort of get a, a rich history of everybody that's been in the park. We could also pick up on um, sense of people that aren't there anymore. So we could, uh, you know, smell footprints, for example, or if somebody touched a pole, we could smell that and be like, oh, like this person was probably doing such and such this long and they passed through here this long ago. Like, right. Yeah, I saw this. Being able to do that. I saw this PBS show that kind of visualized what you're talking about, where it's mm -hmm. in the park and it shows these colors like emanating from each dog, which is why mm -hmm. dogs are always smelling each other's butts. Like that's where the <laughs> core of the smell comes from. But yeah. then other humans and you know the pee of other animals, and I mean the most impressive case to me that I read about was this woman who had like a lump. And the dog would constantly lick it and sniff it and sort of whine. And so finally mm -hmm. the owner went and got the lump checked out and it turned out to be a cancerous tumor. And the dog was warning the owner about the cancerous tumor. And so they've since done research on this to actually prove that this is in fact something that's uh, scientifically provable. Mm -hmm. And now they train dogs to sniff out ovarian cancer and prostate cancer wow and you know those it's like why those two cancers because those are the ones that are most easily smellable <laughs> based on where dogs <laughs> yeah. like to smell and hmm. uh so that's like i mean that's just incredible to think that your dog can be a cancer detector yeah yeah it's just a completely mind-blowing way to like it would be so different from our perception of reality but mm -hmm. this is why dogs are such an awesome compliment to us right right like everything that we suck at they're pretty much good at like we're really good at really detailed work real you know we can manipulate our environment in a detailed way we can see things um with high detail like for example as i often take my dogs for a walk like in in a little park and there are bunnies running around everywhere but mm -hmm. when a bunny is still my dogs have no idea it's there right right and and once like my dog like the german shepherd in particular is always looking at me because we play this game like we'll go hunting rabbits i say that with quotes because <laughs> he's he's never gonna catch a rabbit like it's just yeah. a fun game for him um, even if he was one foot away from a rabbit, he would not catch it. So anyways, <laughs> for listeners, it's not like I'm going around killing a bunch of rabbits. Um, but the the interesting thing is, it you know, he doesn't notice them until they're moving. But we're, right. you know, as, as hunting partners, you know, if, if we were to go back 10, 20,000 years and be hunting partners, I would be able to see these smaller animals with 
higher fidelity and kind of alert the dog that there is something there and we can stalk that, you know, I'm not going to be fast enough to catch a rabbit, but a dog would be as long as it can see the rabbit and sneak up on it. Right. And I've, I've heard that dog's vision is almost like a flickering vision, sort of like a strobe light where they hmm. can sense motion pretty well, actually, but they mm-hmm. cannot sense if, some, if like there's a rabbit or a deer that's like standing completely still when you're hunting, which is like what mm-hmm. deers do is a survival mechanism. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you as the human are like, oh, the deer is right there. But oftentimes <laughs> the dog won't notice until it actually mm-hmm. moves. Um, mm-hmm. And to your point about them being a really great compliment to us, they're really good at understanding visual cues, like pointing to where the rabbit is, for instance. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. that's something that even chimpanzees have a hard time with. Like if you point to where mm-hmm. which bowl has food in it, a chimpanzee mm-hmm. will fail unless you've like really spent time training it. Whereas yeah. a, an untrained puppy will immediately understand what you're getting at and will and will go yeah. to where you're pointing. Yeah, and they you can even see dogs like their stance points like a lot of hunting dogs in particular like they like they themselves point and part of me wonders how much of that is like a co-evolution like did dogs do that before human like before domestication or well i have heard that um so apparently depending on how long your snout is if you have a long snout you're better Mm -hmm. at seeing things from far away for a dog Whereas if you have oh, a, where, like, so if you're a, 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 an English pointer, which is a hunting mm-hmm. dog, you can mm-hmm. see like a quail from pretty far away if it's moving, but you yeah. wouldn't be very good at seeing it up close. You're farsighted, but mm-hmm. because you have such a good sense of smell, you're, you're easily able to track it down once you see like the general direction of where it is. Um, whereas if you take a dog like a pug or like a snout nosed dog <laughs> with a really short face, yeah. those dogs cannot see far at all. But they're yeah. actually better at seeing things up close. Um, hmm. And it does seem like, I mean, we can get into the evolution of dogs, but it's mm-hmm. it's very clear that dogs have been bred for specific purposes. And the hunting yeah. dogs of the variety we're talking about do tend to be longer, with a longer snout, yeah. thinner, faster. And it's better faster. for smelling, too. Like when they have the longer snout, that is a, a yeah, better... Yeah, um, totally. And, and I think dogs that have longer snouts this this might need to be corrected so i don't know if this is true but i have heard that they're better at breathing which means they're better at running longer distances and like just the the pathways of air getting through their um, nose is way better for you know anything you know if we go to the the evolutionary side of things right um, and we go way back that was the primary purpose of dogs was hunting Right. And it was, and it was to be able to go long distances, and even wolves have the longer snouts. Like pre-dogs have longer snouts, um, and yeah. I wonder if there was a, you know, we have such a variety in dogs today. And part of me is curious what led to like the shorter snouts, the right. extremely small dogs, and maybe we should get into the evolution because it's yeah, super totally. interesting to me. Well, I do just want to say one other thing before we get there, okay, which okay. is about their sense of smell, which I find really fascinating, which is that mm-hmm. dogs have a sense for the flow of time based on smell. So whereas mm-hmm. it's like commonly you'll hear that humans, our sense of, of time is based on audio visual primarily, 
dogs primarily view time through their sense of smell and they had an experiment where like if you've ever owned a dog you'll often notice that if you always come home at a certain time your dog is waiting for you like they know you're going to be home at that time so people have thought oh dogs must have an internal clock like like humans do but they did an experiment where they would actually take like some dirty laundry of that person like their owner and they'd waft it around the house right before like before they got home and if you do that the dogs are not on alert for the human coming home so basically it's like they're sensing uh, time based on how much the smell of their owner has, has dissipated has like oh wow that's interesting and yeah. it makes sense too because yeah. you know the same thing when we were talking about walking through a park like you can you can get a pretty good idea especially if we had like our understanding of people and like what the possibilities of you know actions are if we had that sense of smell and we were walking through a park we would we would know like way too much have you ever seen daredevil on yeah uh, i love that so yeah. and he had you know he has this supernatural um sense of smell and he can you know he'll be like oh like why were you here earlier today or why were you doing this today <laughs> like he knew exactly what people were doing based on their smell right and it, it kind of in the same way it builds up a history of that person yeah if you've been um, playing with other dogs and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. oh yeah that's that's one that the dogs get nice and jealous about yeah but yeah let's move on to the evolution so i'll, I'll give like a brief history overview and then mm-hmm. i'm interested to hear what what you've been mm-hmm. uh researching so what's fascinating about dogs is that we domesticated them way before we domesticated any other animals. So mm-hmm. 33,000 years ago in Eurasia, wolves were sort of competing with humans in hunting. And mm-hmm. we would both hunt in similar ways. You know, humans would hunt in a social group. We would stalk prey over long distances until they got really tired. And then we would kill mm-hmm. them. Same thing with wolves. They would stalk them for long distances, tire them out and then using their social coordination, go in for the kill. So we were pretty much competitors, but 33,000 years ago, some lone wolves especially that were separate from a pack and were more docile in nature saw the opportunity and they would go to humans and sort of beg for Mm. for food. We'd give them a little bit of food and then they'd maybe help, you know, stand guard or help us when we went out hunting Mm -hmm. and over time over generation over generation you would have the the wolves that were more docile and that were bonded to humans would survive at a higher rate than the wolves that would hunt in their traditional mechanism Mm -hmm. and it's incredible to think that like the the first domesticated animal for eating was goats twelve thousand years ago So there was literally like tens of thousands of years that it was just human beings, hunter-gatherers with wolves, just going Mm -hmm. across the world, doing our hunting and gathering thing. Before we had pottery, before we had goats, like way before we had Mm -hmm. sheep or or cattle or or grain or anything like that. Um, And, you know, so that basically occurred to the point where we truly co-evolved. And we actually now are chemically bonded to the degree where if you're with a dog petting him, 
both you and the dog are releasing oxytocin, which is a chemical associated with love and feelings of protectedness, Mm -hmm. and it's lowering your cortisol levels. So we're literally bonded together and are able to communicate to a greater degree than perhaps any other, uh, you know, two Mm -hmm. different species. And so this coevolution happened all the way up until uh, in the Victorian era in England. And that's when we first started really cataloging specific species. And that's when like the kennel clubs were were founded and there Mm -hmm. were dog shows and it sort of became like a social status to have this type of dog or that type of dog. And that was really a turning point because it was no longer just purely about like survival and which dog was the best for, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping you and your clan alive. And it was more about like, oh, I like this cute little snout-nosed small dog that I can carry with me on the train as I go over to on my trip to Birmingham or, or whatever. <laughs> and so, so from then up until now, we basically had all of these different breeds that a lot of them are really unhealthy because it was basically just for distinctiveness mm-hmm. of appearance, but it had serious health complications. And it mm-hmm. seems like now we're getting to the turning point where we actually understand the health risks and you know going forward dogs may start to evolve in a more beneficial way for their health their longevity their companionship mm-hmm. and their usefulness to humans mm-hmm. yeah i think i mean that's an awesome history i love that this is probably the most successful symbiosis of at least you know larger mammals obviously there are you know symbioses of you know, bacteria and other organisms that are more fundamental in the food chain. But in terms of dominance and world dominance, like this is by far the most successful symbiosis that has ever existed. And it like dogs could have been instrumental in human evolution and like our success as a species. And it seems like that is the case. Like there was, um, I saw that domestication occurred pre homo sapien. Like, like right. during, like during, whether I don't know if it was Homo erectus, but the like the, um, the one right before humans, uh, potentially domesticated dogs, which is pretty outrageous. And I know there's like a big range of when exactly it happened, like twenty thousand to forty thousand years ago. But, um, yeah, they're just so instrumental in everything. And and you were kind of saying how we've really chemically bonded with dogs and it reminded me of several studies I've seen that show that people with dogs tend to be more attractive to the opposite sex Hmm. and these sort of uh, sexual preferences are interesting to me because it's so common and it makes me wonder if there's a sort of evolutionary purpose to them. Mm-hmm. Is it is there an advantage to being more attracted to somebody that is good with dogs? And I don't know. I haven't seen um, exactly. I haven't seen a study, but I would hypothesize something along the lines of people that are better with dogs tended to be more successful. Very, you know, a very long time ago, whether it was hunting or protection or something similar and and even human preferences have evolved because of dogs right well i do know that dog owners tend to walk on average 22 minutes per day more 
than non-dog owners or even cat owners. Mm -hmm. And if you walk 22 extra minutes a day, you're going to live like 10 to 15 years longer on average Mm -hmm. than someone who doesn't walk around. Yeah, probably less likely to be overweight. Yeah, you literally live longer if you own a dog. Therefore, you're more evolutionarily fit. Mm -hmm. And also, it probably says something about your social aptitude and your emotional... um, you know, mm-hmm. ability to connect with many types of species if you're able to bond with a dog versus if you're not. Oh, yeah. I mean, there. so there was a, a study that I saw and it sort of ranked, you know, cats versus dogs and all of these different traits. And I mean, dogs universally increased attractiveness, sexiness, like these, the feelings of attractiveness, sexiness, mm-hmm. trustworthiness, friendliness, funness intelligence it reduced your perceived scariness and also increased the perceived loyalty to others right so it's just like this and that's why i wonder if there's like just an evolutionary like behavioral pattern that's ingrained in people like oh this person is good with dogs that means that that person is more evolutionarily fit I wouldn't be surprised if people who are dog owners are more ethical, too, in general. Yeah. I mean, mean, of course, there's a lot of awful dog owners out there if you've ever watched Mm -hmm. those shows like Animal Cops. But Mm -hmm. by and large, it does seem like it's hard to be a totally miserable, unethical person if you have just this unconditional love from this animal with you all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing that's interesting about cats as compared to dogs that I found is that cats are not much different from their wild counterparts. Like they didn't really co-evolve with us. They, we, we never really domesticated cats. If anything, yeah. cats domesticated themselves. And, and how this started was, you know, much longer after dogs, like not in the hunter-gatherer era, but in the era where we actually had, you know, like ancient Egypt or whatever was, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. the beginnings of cats, they would hunt the field mice in the areas where we were growing crops. And it was kind of just a mutually beneficial relationship. Like they could get Mm -hmm. the field mice. We didn't want the field mice around. So they kind of decided to come and live with us, but they never really changed that much. Like the behavior Mm -hmm. of a of a house cat is not much different from like a wild cat, even like a tiger or, or a lion. Like it's, yeah. it's fairly similar. Whereas with a dog, it's much different than a wolf. Like just one example I'll give is that, and this gets to at a misconception about, about dogs is that dogs do prefer to spend time with humans as opposed to with other dogs. So if you give a dog a choice between spending time with a human or another dog, almost every time it'll choose to spend time with the human. But if you do that experiment with a wolf, even if the wolf was raised by humans its entire life, if you give it a choice between spending time with a wolf and a human, it'll choose the wolf. So that's like Hmm. a very clear distinction between those species. Hmm. Yeah, and then cats are just kind of like... And then cats just do whatever. (laughs) They just like, they're like, yeah, it's, you know, they give me good food and housing and so I'll play this game i'll be a little charming when i need to but it's not it's just not the same and, and I, by the way i love cats so i'm not hating mm-hmm. on cats but it's just a totally different relationship mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I think that's it's really interesting to think about 
Now, um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the trends today? Like with dogs, obviously they're not used as hunting partners as much, not necessarily used as protective species, although there there is definitely a protective component. Like if you're a, a single woman and you're walking around a city, you feel safer with at least a big dog. You know, maybe a little Shih Tzu isn't going to do much, but, you know, right. a bigger dog. Although is, as an alarm is, bell, a Shih Tzu yeah. works just as well. Yeah, very true. Very true. So I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on the trends of the bond between humans and dogs going forward. Right. Um, yeah, well, historically, the biggest use cases for dogs, like we said, have been hunting, also mm-hmm. herding sheep and mm-hmm. being a guard dog. So sounding the alarm, like you mm-hmm. said, they have great vision at night, great hearing, great smell. Those all come mm-hmm. in handy. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially now, military dogs are huge. I mean, there was just that that dog that was honored by President Trump for mm-hmm. basically killing one of these top terror targets by having a GoPro strapped to his head and cornering this guy into a corner and then he ended up blowing himself up yeah it's like just incredible that these dogs are literally on the front lines and you know bomb sniffing dogs is still used all the time and it's it's better than any technology we have which is kind of remarkable Mm -hmm. but the i would say the most interesting current use case of dogs that i've seen dogs can actually perform cpr on a person i'm gonna share i haven't heard that I'll, I'll share awesome. this video on uh, on our Instagram and Twitter accounts, but they literally have a dog that runs up to a human and jumps up and then pounces on the person's chest like over and over again and then listens to hear the breath and then pounces again if it doesn't hear the breath. I mean, it doesn't do the part where it like, it, like you know, mouth to exhales mouth. Yeah, you yeah. Know, oxygen into you, <laughs> but it can do the other part, which is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's the alternative? Nothing. Like, surely that's better than any alternative. Yeah. Even if it's not perfect, like 30, you know, 30 presses and then a mouth, you know, whatever the CPR procedure is. That's really cool. Right. And and then, you know, personal trainers, like we already talked about how dog owners walk 22 extra minutes a day. And part of that's because your dog will like beg to go out for a walk. And what are you going to be a monster and not go walk with it? And then yeah. once you're out, you're going to pick up the pace to whatever pace your dog is at. So that's yeah. huge. Um, truffle hunting, we talked about a lot in the future of fungi. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. that's something that wouldn't even be possible without dogs, really. Mm-hmm. Psychologists and emotional support and therapy dogs. That's probably the widest current use case. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, they reduce cortisol level, increase oxytocin, all that. And... I would say, you know, sled dogs, obviously, search and rescue, like in 9-11, finding victims, mm-hmm. detecting cancer, we talked about. So these are all current use cases for dogs. What I think might be interesting to talk about is how will these use cases evolve in the future? Yeah. Now, the one that I want to linger on for a little bit is yeah. the emotional support. Uh And that and I think that, you know, thinking of what's happening and what the just trends in society are, I think that's going to be the most important use for a dog and the most important 
way to you know live with a dog because we've talked several times about the decaying mental health of not just the US but you know people all across the world and if dogs can be used as these emotional support organisms that love you unconditionally no matter what no matter how crappy your day is no matter how bad of a mood you're in even if you lash out at the dog they're not just going to be standoffish necessarily obviously you don't hit the dog but like if you're just like go away like i don't want to be with anyone or you know whatever whatever the situation is yeah they're not going to hold it against you and they're just going to want to get closer to you and especially if they're trained in emotional support they are trained to not give up on you no matter what and there is even a there's a whole netflix series um Mm -hmm. called dogs that you know goes through all of these different uh, types of dogs sometimes emotional support sometimes you know search and rescue but it's just it's something that I think will continue to be a problem going forward with the right, you know, with social media and people just not having the greatest mental health. I think this is going to be like the intervention, like before a psychologist or a psychiatrist is needed. Um, mm-hmm. like it's, it's just a, a way to get therapy every day. Something you like, you know, something loves you. And it also gives you something to care about and it gives you something to feed and care for. And it it just creates this sense of responsibility that sometimes people in a deep rut don't feel like they just don't feel like they can do anything. Um, And I don't know. I I think that is the number. That's the use case. I'm most most excited to see. Yeah. I'm excited to see where that goes in the future. And I think if dogs are trained um, to do that. And I also think that dogs are like, there's still evolution going on with dogs. There are certain dogs, certain dogs with certain temperaments that are more likely to be sent to the shelter. Right. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that, that's a, a dark side of owning dogs too. Right. But there are dogs that if their temperament is poor and doesn't, really line up with humans and they're not compatible with humans then they will be sent to a shelter and right. so there are still evolutionary mm-hmm. um you know forces at play so i, I do want to talk about two interesting questions to me and then maybe we can get into the future scenarios and mm-hmm. that is intelligence and longevity as it relates to dogs okay so one thing i was interested in is are dogs getting smarter and also, are dogs living longer? And then based on those two answers, how is that going to change in the future? So I guess let's start with the first one. Are dogs getting smarter? Mm. So part of what we need to consider is that it may seem like dogs are getting smarter than they actually are, just given that now there's YouTube and you can see like dogs doing all of these incredible things in a way that it's not like you could see all the other hunter gatherers and what their dogs were doing for their clans. Like I'm sure those dogs did some pretty incredible things as well, but there have been research studies done that show dog intelligence as compared to say wolf intelligence. And Mm. There's basically a few types of intelligence. There's your instinctual intelligence, which is, you know, what you have right out of the gates. There's also your adaptive intelligence, 
which is how well are you able to learn things and adapt to your environment and your owner and and then there's your your uh, working intelligence and obedience which is you know sort of like school learning like how well can you learn and memorize tasks just based on teaching and yeah. wolves do seem to be smarter when it comes to intel when it comes to instinctive intelligence mm -hmm. but dogs are way smarter when it comes to working intelligence and adaptive intelligence um, okay and you know one of the other misconceptions about dogs is that they don't actually know what you're saying they just know the tone of voice and some owners will like they think they're funny and they'll be like like oh you're you're a stinky little pupper aren't you and <laughs> or you know and, yeah. and uh, but studies show that the dogs do know the meaning of on average 165 words and they can tell if you say something in a nice tone of voice but the words themselves are mean and they've actually done fMRI studies of dogs and they've shown that just like humans dogs process the meaning of words with the left side of their brain and they process the tone of words with the right side of their brain huh. and this is not something any wolf can do so depending on the breed and the use case dogs are getting smarter the smartest species or uh, sorry the smart, smartest breed of dogs is border collies the second smartest mm -hmm. is poodles the third smartest is german shepherds and the fourth smartest is golden retrievers so when you consider that there are some species that are desired for their intelligence like you know german shepherds and poodles mm -hmm. and uh, border collies those dogs are going to continue to get smarter. Now, how much smarter? That's another question. I don't know how soon we'll see brain machine interfaces and <laughs> whatever. But I find that fascinating that, you know, who knows? Like 10,000 years from now, dogs could be like right now, they say a dog is basically the average intelligence of like a two and a half year old human. It could very well be as smart as a seven year old in 10,000 years or or something P wow. perhaps much sooner yeah. if you know since there's greater technological capabilities with yeah. like gene selection and you know you, you mm -hmm. gene editing for instance like um so anyways yeah. i'd like to get your reaction on that and then we can talk about longevity yeah i mean i think i don't think it'll be ten thousand years before right, they right. reach that perceived intelligence and maybe maybe it's not necessarily their actual brain structure that is allowing for this seven-year-old uh, brain or the seven-year-old intelligence but it might be something like you said it might be something like a brain machine interface where you know we can sort of understand them they can sort of understand us to a much greater degree because well, SoftBank what, is investing in that by the way <laughs> yeah and, and you know these these are early companies that you know, will probably not be completely successful, at least for a while. But I don't think it'll be beyond this century. And if you, if you think about brain machine interfaces with dogs, why can't we extend that to other animals? Why can't we start to communicate more clearly with elephants, with dolphins, with orcas, like these super intelligent creatures all over the world? And I think dogs are an awesome first step to getting there. And you also, you know, and you, you were going to talk about aging, so I wanted to let you, you know, talk about that. But 
there's some interesting stuff. Yeah, you can start off on aging. Yeah. So, um, with you, you have more specific stuff on like how well or how long dogs are living today. But one of the things that I've seen is dogs, um, are being proposed as awesome model organisms for aging research. Hmm. And the reason that they're being used or at least being proposed for aging research is, you know, they have several advantages. Like they live in the same environment that we live in. They, um, have a much more similar biochemistry to humans. Um, they, then mice, cause mice are typically, a model organism for aging, which we learned mm-hmm. about in the future of aging with, uh, David Sinclair, but human studies are really, um, difficult because one, we live for, we live for a very long time. Right, right. So, so, um, and then mice live for a very short time and dogs are maybe this like happy medium in terms of their lifespan. Um, but they have the same environment as us. They have similar genetic pathways, um, like the way that their t- their telomeres uh, work are similar, more similar to humans than mice are to humans. Um, they have, let's see, I wrote down a few more. So the environments are similar. The um, oh, there's also a huge variety of. Mm dogs which you know there's also a pretty wide variety of humans so if if we can find aging things that work well on a wide variety variety of breeds in dogs that might be something that generalizes better to humans so if we use dogs as a, a model species for aging research we might be able to speed up humans understanding of human research and mm-hmm. it, it would just be um really cool to do that because we also just want our dogs to live longer right Right. it it sucks it sucks when dogs live anywhere you know for the really big dog breeds living only seven years for like great danes and they can live up to 15 maybe 20 at the very very max for really small dogs um but that's not very long like you can go through five different dogs in your lifetime and it sucks every time one yeah, dies yeah. and you know, my dogs are kind of on the, the later stages of their life. Our Labradoodle is 13 or German Shepherd is 11. So there's, you know, maybe a handful of years left for them. Yeah. Um, I believe the, the oldest dog in history was 30 years old. Really? So that seems to be the upper limit. Whereas mm-hmm. for humans, I think it's 122 or 25 yeah. or something like that is the oldest and based on the question are dogs living longer than they used to this seems like it's a resounding yes Mm. and from my research i found that in the last 40 years the average lifespan of dogs has doubled so dogs are living much longer a lot of it has to do with just we have a far much more knowledge about what the right nutrition is for dogs the right exercise the right um, you know, healthcare and, you know, veterinaries, mm-hmm. surgical services, all of these were not just not available uh, yeah. as widely in the past. Mm-hmm. So, and I think David Sinclair even mentioned something in his book about how, like in the future, in sort of a worst case scenario, if there is this great inequality between some people that have access to the cutting edge aging research and others do not, 
those with access to the cutting edge research will also do whatever in their power to keep their dogs alive and healthy with them. So it's mm -hmm. not crazy to think that dog longevity will continue to go up for like the most well-loved, wealthy dogs mm -hmm. as compared yeah. to people that aren't you know, as fortunate. Yeah, um, I've I've heard several podcasts of people that give their dogs rapamycin, which is, oh yes. you know, that's an another study right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that people do it out of the study and then uh, maybe talk. I didn't actually know there was a, an official study going on, yeah, but I so know that some aging researchers are doing that. Right. So rapamycin is this uh, substance that's found in wine, for instance, and it's been associated with greater longevity. And so they're mm -hmm. doing an experiment right now where they're giving dogs rapamycin and you know, seeing how long they live as compared to the control group. And one thing that's interesting about rapamycin is it seems like it's purely beneficial in smaller animals, smaller mammals, but for longer, for larger mammals like humans, if you take it throughout your whole life, it may have some negative effects. So it, what they're trying to figure out with dogs is because dogs aren't as large as humans, but they're larger than mice. They're trying to see mm. what the effects are on, on dogs' mm. longevity. It does seem like the biggest obstacle to dogs increasing their longevity is obesity. Because over half of all pets, dogs, cats, whatever, are clinically obese because humans just feed them too much. You know, they're begging, yeah. they just give in, they give them scraps, whatever. So mm -hmm. that seems like the biggest obstacle. But aside from that, it seems pretty optimistic that dogs will continue to get smarter, at least some breeds, yep. and dogs will continue to live longer. Um, and one thing that's just interesting is that as opposed to other species where the larger the organism, the longer they live, with dogs, it actually tends to be that little dogs live longer, which is sort of counter to what we know. But part of that's just because we've bred dogs for such specific types of aesthetic appearances that kind of like changes. It makes it just different from analyzing other wild species that evolved, you know, purely in the in the wilderness. Right. Um, like, for instance, the dog that lives the shortest is the English bulldog because we basically bred this thing to have as short of a snout as possible, so it has a lot of trouble breathing, a lot of extra skin, which creates a lot of other uh, issues, and we've bred them to be big. So they're like, they're bigger than they were 100 years ago, and it's hard for them to like keep up with such bad respiratory abilities. Yeah. Um, for instance, like German Shepherds also, we bred them to be big guard dogs. So they're actually 30 pounds heavier than they were just 40 years ago. Really? And because we bred them to be guard dogs where they have these big barrel chests, this sloping back, they're big, mm -hmm. but that puts a lot of pressure on their lower back and spine and their, their hip. hips. Yeah. Yeah. German shepherd's hips are not, not very good. Right. And that's, that seems common with a lot of larger dogs is that, we bred them for this specific use case of being like super fast or super powerful or whatever, but that mm -hmm. comes at the cost of them having a long health span and lifespan, which is why like a smaller mutt, 
that's just like a mix of dogs and isn't bred mm -hmm. for one specific purpose tends to live a lot longer than a, mm -hmm. a larger purebred dog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one case too. And maybe we can get into the scenarios, yeah. um, but it's one case for rescuing dogs. Definitely. You know, it's, you potentially will get a, a more healthy dog if you rescue a mutt uh, rather than, you know, go to a breeder for a very specific type of dog. Um, cause they, purebreds tend to have more health issues than, you know, than, um, the mutts and the mixes. So Definitely. like our Labradoodle, our Labradoodle is just kicking it at 13 years old. Um, super in shape, always running around and like people, when I'm on a trail with her, for example, they're like, Oh, how, like, how old is your puppy? Like, how, how old is she? <laughs> like the only thing that makes her seem old is she has some grays. Like that's the only thing, but she's super fit. And our German shepherd, he's also like fairly fit, but like he's got some, he's got some issues, especially now that he's 13. Um, but yeah. And, and part of that is probably just the fact that one's purebred, one is a mutt. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like that if you mix a Homo sapien with a Neanderthal, you get a more physically fit being. <laughs> yeah. Because you're getting the gene, the good genes from both. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, and maybe do you think it's time to get into yeah, the worst case? Yeah. Let's do the future okay. scenarios. So, Madamore, what do you think uh, about the worst case for the future of dogs? Worst case scenario. My worst case scenario is essentially that we don't learn our lesson and we continue to breed dogs for their distinctive appearances and mm -hmm. we don't consider the health implications of doing that. Mm -hmm. It does seem that with the knowledge we have that that's somewhat unlikely. Uh, it does seem like we're, there's more of a move towards you know rescue dogs to mutts mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. But, you know, people are still very particular about their preferences. And some people do, you know, they only ever get pugs and they're a pug family. And even though these poor animals are like, <laughs> <laughs> like just barely, <laughs> barely able to survive or, or like these small dogs that you keep in a purse that's just like terrified of everything because, <laughs> you know, any sort of animal that steps on it, like that would be the end. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that could continue. And I think that would be that really, that's the worst case because it's, it's unrealistic to think that dogs won't continue to be with us, continue to provide emotional support, continue to have real, you know, roles in society that are important even beyond emotional support. So really my worst case is just from a dog's perspective, them having worse health, worse longevity, because we just do what we find to be interesting and cute and we don't really consider what it is for them. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess the only other thing I would add is that, you know, if dogs are exposed to the same sort of free radicals and pollution and whatever that humans are exposed to, so whatever we do to harm the planet and to harm our environment, because dogs are living in the same environment that we are, that would also be bad for dogs. So it's if we like get into a nuclear war or, you know, pollution goes out of control and reaches a tipping point, 
then that would be horrible for dogs too. So mm -hmm. we should consider that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I had some similar thoughts. The one thing I would add is I think it's also a worst case scenario from the perspective of a dog when people get dogs without understanding what kind of responsibility it takes to own a dog. So if mm -hmm. you're a person, you're like, oh, I want a dog because they're cute. I want a dog because, you know, I want to pick up girls or, you know, I want to, you know, like what all of these different reasons people get dogs. And I think a lot of reasons are flawed. If, like if you don't have the ability to change your lifestyle around a dog and just try to force a dog into your lifestyle, whether that's sedentary or whatever, like I've, you know, I've recently seen some dog owners where, you know, people just want to wa lay around, watch TV and the dog is like ready to play. And then like you just yell, you know, these people just yell at the dog like lay down lay down you know like it, it right. they don't they don't get up and walk the dog right and you know the dog is in maybe not the best shape and it's it's not a great situation for the dog because like well i i want to go outside like i'm a dog i want to run right. around and, and people don't really adjust their lifestyle to fit what a dog is and i think that's one component that's maybe sometimes overlooked um, Did you see the, that Trump recently passed the federal law that makes it a federal crime to uh, enact animal cruelty? I thought that was great. Oh, really? That, okay. Yeah, because I mean, so, there's there's been this like this horrible challenge that people will like stand on their dog, and it like totally like hurts the dog's internal organs, and these like these like kids will basically like stand on their bulldog and film it and share it on social media. And then the, the real tragedy is that even when they catch these kids and they bring them before court, they get nothing. They get like 20 hours community service, like no penalty at all. Whereas that's really like, it's like a sign of a sociopath to do that kind of thing. So there should yeah. be greater penalties. And fortunately, it does seem like there are going to be greater penalties. That's really good. I didn't hear about that. But that's like animal cruelty is one thing. I mean, yes, any sort of cruelty to any living creature really irks me. But when you willingly get a dog and you're just mean to it and don't and give it a life of just suffering, that irks me beyond all measure. Like, and maybe that's the fact that I love dogs. I like I will always have dogs, um, and yeah. I'm, a, I'm definitely a dog person. But yeah, like don't get a dog. Like there, some people just shouldn't have a dog. If you're a sociopath and that's what you just want to hurt things, like first of all, fuck you. But like <laughs> second, um, you know, go, I, I don't go know. play video games and hurt someone in the digital world. Don't like bring it into the real world. Yeah, for real. Um, anyways, so I just think, I think that that's also a worst case is people just kind of willy-nilly get dogs um, and it's not necessarily like physical abuse but like when you neglect a dog mm -hmm. and their needs that's also like a low-level form of abuse I think Definitely. so don't get a dog if you're not going to be able to really put in a commitment right like plus if, if you just want a dog sometimes you can order you know dogs will come for therapy sessions and, and you can go to the Humane Society and, like, just play around with dogs exactly. for a little bit. 
Yeah, or go to the go to the dog park and just hang out with dogs. I'm sure dog owners would be fine with it to just yeah. like go around and pet some dogs. You know, there's there's a lot of free ways to interact with dogs that doesn't have to be you owning a dog and giving it a miserable life. Right. If you know, if if you don't have the time and commitment to to be able to spend on a dog. So, um anyways, yeah, that that's kind of my worst case. What do you think about the best case? Best case scenario. My best case scenario is the inverse, which is that we seriously consider all of the knowledge that we now have about what it means to give a dog a good life, a healthy life, a long life. And as a result, dogs live a lot longer. They're a lot healthier. And they also evolve in a way that is good for them as opposed to mm -hmm. just being what human preferences are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one thing that I find fascinating is so there's 35,000 plus dogs in Moscow and these dogs have become very intelligent just from mm -hmm. the evolutionary pressures of, you know, some dogs will starve if they don't, if they don't navigate the city the right way. And what they've found is that these dogs can actually go on the subway and they know where the stations are, where to get off. And they wow. literally like commute into work. So they've, they've uh, documented these dogs. They live in sort of the outskirts where they enjoy, which is sort of just like free roaming area. And mm -hmm. then every morning they'll get on the train and they'll go to the main center of the city and they'll beg for a bunch of food and stuff. And then they'll bring that food back and they'll share it with their friends. And sometimes they even will send the cutest of their little pack because they know the cutest one has the greatest success rate. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And they don't navigate it in the same way humans do. It's mostly by yeah. like the smell of the train and the voice, uh, yeah. the voice of the conductor and, and you know, mm -hmm. they know words so they can hear the words of different stations as the, the you know, person calls it out. But this is just incredible when you think of the level of intelligence that that requires. So uh -huh. in my best case scenario, if I'm going like far future out there, which I like to, I would say <laughs> dogs rapidly increase their intelligence and their lifespan and their health span to the point where they're like just super intelligent like and, and can really help us explore the cosmos and colonize other planets and i mean honestly one thing i was thinking about that sounds a little crazy but if we were to build a super intelligent ai would you rather have that super intelligent ai be modeled after some human brain or modeled after a dog's brain for <laughs> sure a dog's brain. <laughs> yeah like because in dogs it's just ingrained to have this sense of loyalty to humans and to sort of look to humans for what to do which is pretty much what we want out of a super intelligent ai mm -hmm. so i mean that's like a little crazy and out there so i'm not saying that that's at all likely but yeah. it's interesting to think about, like, if dogs will inherit the cosmos along with us. Um, and then, I would like to say yes. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I, I will say is that... Uh, what else was I, was I going to say? Oh, another thing I was going to say is that 
there are there is some evidence that dogs can interact not only with humans but also with machines and robots and they've done these experiments where for instance the treat is inside this cage that's too small for the dog to get inside and so they have this little like uh, remote control car that will move around and the dog literally like gives commands to where the the car needs to go to be like and will sort of like pounce in the direction it wants it to go and will look at the machine and then look at where it wants it to go and then the car will go in get the treat and then the dog will eat the treat so there is evidence that dogs can interact with machines what if like we're out there in a spaceship like colonizing other planets and the dogs are sort of like our co-pilot interacting with the machines and that's you know, like the movie up like they, yeah. they've got the whole colony of dogs it's like this dude's this explorer's co-pilots and you know they've got their little talkers or they can communicate with everybody that's awesome yeah exactly I, that and, and even if we're going like not that far and we're just saying what's still a likely best case scenario you know, we could, when we colonize other planets, we could just bring the DNA of dogs and then basically allow dogs to co-evolve with us on other planets as well. So when we colonize Mars, humans are going to continue to evolve for that environment. And some scientists have predicted that humans' eyes may actually get bigger and turn red as a way of coping with the Martian environment as opposed hmm. to the earthly environment. And so dogs may likely evolve as well for what's good mm -hmm. for Mars. Now, if you play this out for if we colonize other planets as well, then we could basically have dogs and humans ruling all of these planets together for an eternal friendship. <laughs> <laughs> That's my best I case love scenario. It. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my my best case, I think you touched on a lot of things. I think, you know, in, in kind of a, a very uh, likely best case is just in the near term, there's better support for people with dogs. So there's better support for daycare, for walking. Like if you need to work and stuff, there's also, you know, we see these companies of dog walkers that will just come to your house or apartment, get your dog, walk them, and it'll all be good. So stuff like that where there's just support for people to own dogs um i think is a big thing because i would i would love it if you know a bunch of, of a lot more people were able to own dogs because i know a lot of people want to own dogs they just you know can't because of their lifestyle um but maybe it becomes easier to give the dog a good life and to live a life where you're you know able to pursue what you want to pursue maybe part of that is smaller dogs that are easier to live with in cities or something along those lines. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the likely best case. Um, I also think in the best case, dogs are a good model for aging research, which, you know, it, hmm. it's, they're proposed that they are, but I think really in the best case, they lead to breakthrough aging technologies. And so first our dogs get to live a much longer lifespan. Maybe they double to 50 years within our lifetime. Maybe we can have dogs that live to 50 years. And then maybe that leads to breakthrough research where we're living 150 years, 200 years, you know, similar to what we talked about with uh, David Sinclair. Um, so, yeah, I think all of that uh, 
is kind of in my best case. Now, in the further future, kind of like we were talking about earlier, having dogs with a sort of BMI where they could understand what you're saying would be awesome. Like being able to really like almost have a conversation with a dog, like the depth of conversation wouldn't necessarily be like us, you know, contemplating the future, but it, it would still be like, Hey, what do you want to do? I want to go for a walk. Cool. Let's go for a walk. Or, Hey, I want to go to the park. Let's go to the park. Or I want to see my, my crush up the street, my, <laughs> my, my favorite dog up the street. You know, let's, let's go do that. So being able to have like get a clearer picture of the desires for a dog, I think would put them on a level where it's even harder to just neglect them because we know exactly what they want. If there's a sort of BMI where what we say is like input into whatever format their brain needs for understanding and whenever they're acting, either they have a little chip like in the movie Up or you can like what they're thinking kind of comes out to us as a mm-hmm. sort of sentence. And obviously the it would be rudimentary, like it would be a very uh, like elementary um, sentence structure probably. But right. you could have an AI that like builds onto it and, and creates a, a better structure of sentence and kind of makes it more coherent. Um, yeah, I mean, and, we're getting better at mapping which parts of the brain are associated with which types of nouns or verbs or mm-hmm. whatever. So, mm-hmm. I mean, another way would be it, rather than just them speaking out the words, if you were truly connected via BMI, you could almost like see what they're seeing based on what part of their brain is lighting up. Yeah, yeah, that would be actually interesting. And bypass the verbal layer. That might be also um, interesting um, as a model of like seeing the world through someone else's lenses. So one thing that I think is happening, and this isn't really about dogs, but one trend that, or one thing that I think will happen in the future is we will sort of merge to become something. Like we will either merge with AI, we will merge with something and sort of become a singular species, um, which you know, may or, that might be far out there and it probably is a far out thought, but I think the first step might be just merging with one other human or one other animal first. And maybe a dog is a good first step, like merging, really merging with your dog, like in avatar, when you, when you merge biologically with those, um, those dragon creatures mm-hmm. that are flying around with those, um, tentacles and in, in the braids um i wonder if there would be a way to do that through technology with your dog or something along those lines and then that's kind of a first step and then you can start to merge with other humans you can start to merge with and everyone's you know is kind of merging together in this biological technological way um so that yeah, you know that's that might interesting. be that might be a, a very far out best case scenario as well right um, yeah, well, let's bring it home for the most likely. What do you have for your most likely scenario? Most likely scenario. Hmm. Yeah, so I think we're going to see some of the best case and some of the worst case. I do think technology will lead to a point where we can more clearly communicate with dogs. I don't know if that looks like a BMI or or if there's just some sort of 
chip that we have, whether that's even if it's just augmented reality that reads the body language of dogs um, and we can sort of get a better understanding of what the dog is thinking and what they want just based on body language because they are dogs are very expressive. You just need to know how to um, understand that expression. Um, some people are better at understanding it than others, but if it was more democratized and anybody could understand the body language of a dog, I think that would that's fairly likely and something that wouldn't require any sort of invasive BMI um, mm-hmm. technology. Um, so that's that's one. But I, in the likely case too, I think no matter where we go, dogs will continue to be man's best friend. Like, I don't think that there's ever going to be a species that deplatform or, you know, like <laughs> dethrones, dethrones the dog as, um, as the number one, um, best friend for humans. So yeah. that brings yeah, to mind this, this really funny quote I read. That's like, if you live with a dog, the dog will think of you as a God. If you live with a cat, the cat will think of itself as a god (laughs) because it's like for the dog you come home you give it all its food it's like oh wow look at this awesome guy that's providing but for the cat it's like oh look at this human doing my bidding of cleaning up my (laughs) cleaning up my litter bowl and (laughs) so that yeah i think you're right that dogs aren't going to be dethroned in their place Mm -hmm. among humans yeah yeah and that's that's pretty much it i think i think that you know, that we will continue to see evolution of dogs and they will, I don't know if they will tend towards smaller dogs as humans become a more and more urban species. Um, it does seem like there has been a trend towards smaller dogs in cities recently. So maybe that's one trend that will continue, will continue to see grow. Um, but yeah, there is, I doubt that evolution has just stopped with dogs. Like there will be a trend of some sort and and there is also the the evolutionary pressure that we were talking about earlier where dogs with less desirable temperaments and attitudes are more likely to be euthanized which is i mean that's a not fun to think about um but it's also uh you know that's kind of the situation we're in so if dogs that are that have better temperaments are more likely to survive and dogs with less health problems are also more likely to reproduce. Um, that might be something that leads towards, you know, friendlier dogs, maybe smarter dogs. If, if, uh, the dogs that are more likely to survive and reproduce are very good at listening and, um, learning and, um, obeying commands. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, pressures I think that will kind of shape the species going forward but I think it's too complex really to know exactly what that will be mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the likely case yeah my most likely is more in the direction of the best case scenario mm-hmm. although perhaps not as far as as I took my best case <laughs> and I, th- I really do think we've come to a turning point in how we view dog breeding where mm-hmm. I think now we just have so much more knowledge even than we did 40 years ago about what it means to have this breed or that breed as it relates to their health implications and so I, th- I really do think that dogs will get healthier and live longer 
uh, going forward as we have more knowledge and just have more medical capabilities in general. Um, one thing that does seem worth noting is that a lot of it's up to how the breeders decide to breed because most dogs, they get neutered. So even if you have like a phenomenally great dog that's smart and friendly and whatever, it's, un it's rare that you then decide to make puppies with that dog. Usually that's something that's more the breeder's decision. But breeders respond to what the demands are of dog owners. So if dog right. owners decide that they don't care as much about having a smushy face and, a, and like a clipped tail and whatever else, and they care more about just a friendly, loving dog that's healthy and smart and lives long, then I think the breeders will respond and we mm -hmm. will have a much better future, not only for dogs, but also for humans. Mm -hmm. So that's my most likely scenario. And perhaps a good place to end it is that if you yourself are a dog owner, I would urge you to adopt a rescue rather than go from to a breeder. And if you are going to a breeder, I would say pick a, pick a breed that has less health issues and you know try to do what you can to create a better future for dogs couldn't have said it better awesome thank you everyone for listening this has been the future of dogs and we'll see you next time the past the present and the future Hey futurists, if you've made it this far, you might be wondering who created the Hence the Future theme song. It was created by the Walden Brothers, and you can find them on Spotify. The Walden Brothers also produced the sound bites for the worst case, the best case, and the most likely future scenarios. At Hence the Future, we're always looking for ways to improve the quality of our episodes and our predictions. To that end, we're building a team of researchers to curate the most authoritative and highly vetted sources as the foundation for every episode. If you'd like to support these efforts, you can donate a small monthly amount at anchor.fm slash hence the future. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support.